brain training as a term, it's really got a mixed bag of associations for a variety of reasons we couldn't get into in this call. But my point of view as someone who is in a brain training company and virtual reality serving from my point of view as the Rolls Royce or Ferrari of what that sector is because it engages, engages so many different aspects of the human system in synchrony at the same time. Welcome back to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators who are transforming health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. My guest this week is Amir Bozogzadeh, CEO and founder at Virtualeap. Amir has been on the leading edge of applying virtual reality technology to healthcare, which is a little ironic since, as he'll explain, he's more likely to be found on the beach with a paperback than looking at a screen. But maybe that's just the kind of person we need diving into the world of virtual reality and coming up with tools that will heal and not harm. I wanted to get him on this show to learn more about his platform, CogniClear VR, a new product they've come up with that uses VR games and activities to detect cognitive disorders. Amir will walk us through the new platform, explain why VR can play an important role in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's and other dementias, and give us a preview of where Virtually is going next. Stick around. All right, Amir Bozogzadeh, CEO and founder, well, one of the founders there at Virtually. Thanks for joining me today for Startup Health Now. Thank you for having me, Logan. It's always a real treat to spare a couple moments to chat with you. Yeah, and I love catching you in your environs there. You mentioned before the call that you're in Barcelona right now, correct? Correct. This is our second office. Uh, our headquarters is in Lisbon. I'm heading the expansion here in, in uh, Barcelona and Spain. Awesome. Well, we're here to talk about your product, CogniClear VR, a virtual reality way of detecting cognitive disorders. And we'll talk about Virtual Leap and kind of where you've taken the company. But since you opened the door to being in Barcelona and in Lisbon, let's just start there for a second. Uh, why, why Lisbon? We are in a very interesting emerging frontier technology. It's not called mainstream technology. It's always called emerging. So it's in the process of getting uh, into the mainstream. And then we're also a company that's addressing the healthcare sector, the education sector. Again, extremely stubborn uh, you know, environments to, to change. And so we had a period of time where we had to be kind of stealth mode. Uh, three and a half years of just building up before we can even commercialize, which just began about a year and a half ago. So the the idea was and that, that, that at the time I was a writer for VentureBeat. I, I knew about ecosystems like uh, like Lisbon and the upright, you know, what's yeah. happening in the ecosystem there. And one of the key factors was low burn rate, being able to have a thriving place of talent, but but low low cost and long runway. Smart, smart. Um... Okay, so take me to where you're at with uh, Virtual Leap. You said you you didn't come to market until a year and a half ago, but you had years and years of development. So kind of where are your products currently? So we built the first product, our flagship product is called Enhanced VR. It's a library of VR-based cognitive exercises that tests and trains a range of 22 cognitive skills, including because of VR's embodiment as a digital format, motor control skills, spatial audio awareness, spatial orientation. So when you play these games, you basically get a sense of your uh, cognitive strengths, your cognitive weaknesses, and ideally some insights along the way of how you can train and become more wholesome. 
that's our that's our real flagship product. Uh, yeah, you mentioned in the beginning of uh, call that we have a, a second product that we're very excited about in code design and development with uh, partners like Roche. Yeah, I want to get into to that. You said CognaClear, I think, and talk to me about the academic underpinnings of some of these ideas. Sort of how far can you go right now with VR for brain training, sort of what's really possible right now. And brain training as a term, it's really got a mixed bag of associations for a variety of reasons we couldn't get into in this call. But my point of view as someone who is in a brain training company and virtual reality serving from my point of view as the Rolls Royce or Ferrari of what that sector is because it engages, engages so many different aspects of the human system in synchrony at the same time. Ultimately, I believe that the neuropsychological principles, the research about what kind of gamified mechanisms can do to uplift us in certain ways, cognitively speaking, they're only from the context of when you have a deficit. For example, a learning challenge like ADHD, you're having a deficit imposed upon you. You're doing chemotherapy, of which 70% of people doing chemotherapy, they have a sort of memory impairment, not that's not that different from people reporting long COVID. So, or depression or any kind of recuperation from traumatic brain injury. I think in those contexts, when you're below the threshold of, let's say your optimum for whatever reason, then these kinds of gamified mechanisms can kind of boost neural activity in those re parts of the brain and kind of at least temporarily serve as a therapeutic. But I don't believe it has a therapeutic value that goes beyond that to transfer into the general population of people who have very healthy lives, sleep well, have good friends, eat well, all these things. I think on that side of things, it's more of a self-knowledge tool. What do you mean by that, self-knowledge? So you play these 15 of these games, and now we have a new feature where of enhanced VR, not cognitive clear. You play these 15 exercises, and you're now able to export a 26-page report that really goes into the personal data of where you're strong, where you're weak. You see your cognitive fingerprint. I'm using this term now. It's like you just can't change that cognitive fingerprint. It's like when you do the MBTI, I'm a, I'm a big uh, psychometric uh, kind okay. of person. I've always loved those tests, like IQ tests, psychological tests. What type of person am I? Am I a clean freak or this or whatever? Yeah. And then ultimately you get to learn what you are and that explains why you don't have friends or, you know, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, that's why, that's why. Give me you an know? example of what might be in that cognitive fingerprint. <laughs> what can I learn about myself? Well, I don't know so much about you yet, but I know myself. I living here in, in Europe, but being, having been raised in Canada, there's not many, like a lot of these places you go to villages, they're windy. I have no spatial orientation and my wife would make fun of me all the time. She would go like, she thinks it's almost like on purpose. I'm intentionally not remembering after seven days where the hell I'm going, right? <laughs> and then now I can show her this report that in the report, you'll see that my spatial orientation category skills are below average. And so, and, and I find I can go do a carpentry class or something and try to work at it. But so far, and I have a pretty, I think, fulfilling life. I try to hit all the boxes. I just can't really change that spider web shape. Yeah, yeah. And, and knowing that piece about yourself can help you uh, move through it, understand yourself, and move forward. 
So let's talk. So that's enhanced, and it's, it's interesting context that you're giving in terms of dealing with deficits versus trying to turn people into super brains and just like grow and grow and grow. Um, let's talk about CognaClear, and that is focusing on Alzheimer's. Is that correct? So you know, CognaClear is a screening tool. It's a screening okay. tool not for Alzheimer's, but the precursors to Alzheimer's. Got usually, it. usually when you look at Alzheimer's, you go, okay, um, scary. Uh, it scares Bill Gates. It's a, it's the scariest thing for Bill Gates when your brain stops working. I think everyone is 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 um, very much considering it a taboo, a stigma towards even looking at it, uh, avoiding MRI scans, right? And the question is, how do we implement more accessible, less scary, less invasive, less costly screening tools way further along? Like even in your 20s, you know, you sh we should be screening for things. And what do we screen for? Well, the usual test for people who are worried about cognitive deterioration or illnesses is whether you have MCI, mild cognitive impairment. And that's typically where, where, where the screening tests go. The power of VR is that it collects physical gesticulation, body data in combination with physiological sensors, uh, algorithms that are running to understand things at a higher, you know, crazier level of penetration, a order of magnitude more data being captured. And the question is whether we adversely could create with the power of VR, a screening tool that could detect not just mild cognitive impairment, but even earlier to mild cognitive impairment, subjective cognitive decline, when you're kind of laughing with friends over drinks or tea, um, about your memory not being as it should be, which is that's the time where we should start, you know, mm. not worrying about things, but proactively addressing things and doing checkups with neurologists and keeping ahead of it. Interesting. And you mentioned that you're doing this work uh, in collaboration with some with some larger organizations, like you said, Roche. Yes. Yes. Yeah. T tell me about that. Well, Roche uh, is our leading uh, partner where we've been going through co-design phases with them and a specified uh, hospital partner in Portugal, actually, uh, Lucia Dash. And what we've been doing is whenever we create anything from our point of view, it's it's neuroscience-driven uh, technology. It's it's gamified, and you can call it games, but it's, it's just less syllables than calling it a gamified neuropsychological assessment tool, you know? So... They're really tests, and when we create these things, we have to have accessibility design right at the top priority. We have to make sure these games are comfortable, the experiences don't um, make people uncomfortable. They're adapting for mobility restriction, people in wheelchairs, whether you're colorblind. We have settings for all of that, but a layer of that process of prototyping it initially is working with institutional or hospital partners to keep doing rounds of tests. We create the product, then do a round of patient tests and we not jot down everything that's going wrong. Is the tutorials working well? Is it taking too long? We want to hit a, a minimum of under 30 minutes for this whole test to be done from A to, from top to bottom. So we have done, I think, five waves of, of user testing with patients at the hospital through this relationship and partnership with Roche and Lucia Dash, where we're inching closer and closer to that polished product mm. that we will plan to release by the end of this year into more of a, you know, available to other partners. What I feel like I'm hearing is that there's a pretty big divide between getting the, the science right of the product and actually figuring out what that implementation looks like with patients, where it works, like you said, with wheelchairs, with colorblindness, with uh, the timing that's necessary. 
Um, tell me about this science, like how evolved and developed is the science? Like, yes, if we uh, it, it go through this module and if the person sort of picks the objects out and can remember that that correlates to X, like where are we at with the science? It's the, it's the, you know, it goes into the science is so well done on one hand. On the other hand, it's often done as an MVP kind of, you know, mm -hmm. Frankenstein project that some research team is kind of haphazardly put together and great for them. Fantastic. But, you know, I have a lot of qualms about, I wish these experiences were of higher polished quality. Can you get triple A studio quality and then do a test on it? Because the quality of something will have a, have an impact on retention and adherence and all those things. Yeah. But even when you do a MVP, sorry to say crappy version of this thing, you do a study and there's positive results and then boom, that's the science. We go, we have a clear indicator that this thing has a positive impact. And every one of our games has about 25 pages of, of research and design documentation vetted by, by leaders in this space like Walter Greenleaf of Stanford, Albert Skip Rizzo at UCLA. Everyone's always been externally validating that what we designed, our neuroscientists, externally has a stamp of approval of due diligence yeah. and then when we implement it the real problem is when you create vr it's called vr development hell because you're dealing with three degrees of uh and six degrees of freedom you're talking about re fully rendered environments in which mm. people are actually bringing in their motor control skills into play so so much more can go wrong if you are rushing things you can't rush user design when it's a simulcrum, an imitation of a reality. The good thing about VR is that you don't have to teach a person really, doesn't matter if they're 80 or 10, how to pick up uh, a, a, a can of soda, right? right. It's intuitive, but the, net, the, the other side is we have to be mindful that you're dealing with the autonomic nervous system and the vestibular balance system and our proprioception. The hands better not be longer in VR VR mm. <laughs> life, you know, you have to like test everything yeah. to T. Interesting. Uh, stepping aside or sort of raising up our view a little bit, how have you seen attitudes about virtual reality in healthcare evolve? How long have you been in that general space? I mean, rule number one is do not trust the media with anything you're. Even though you came from the media, right? Venture Beat. I mean, you know, it was my. Um, I never got paid a dollar for being in the media, by the way. Okay, okay. I, I, I went three, four years. I'm just going to write for free just to understand VR. That's actually the weird okay. story. Okay. I, I, I used it as a way that uh, I know the egos and vanity of any top CEO. They never say no to a reporter from a reputable place. And so I got a lot of doors open in terms of understanding nice. the ecosystem. Uh, okay. It was, okay. A, it was a Trojan horse. Nice. And um, I... The reason we went to Portugal also was at that time, 2018, media was saying VR is dead because they only respond to press releases from PR agencies and companies with PR people who, set, who have relationships with them. Whereas the main, the, the, the most beautiful stuff that's been happening for the last 15 years at universities, at hospitals, they're, they're geeks and nerds. They don't know how to market, right? They don't know how to get that connection. So over like 7,000 studies, have been published worldwide on the therapeutic, diagnostic, monitoring effects and benefits of VR, but very much a lot of them have been under the radar. And right now, at this time, of, uh, we'll talk about Apple if we have time and, and Meta and, and what's about to happen in the fall, which is going to be huge. But 
this is a time when it's just all concentrated. You've got hospitals using VR for pain management, yeah. not as experimental, but like part yeah. of their protocol. Totally. Well, let's go there. Let's go to, to Apple um, uh, Vision, Vision Pro, right? Uh, how will the introduction of, of new technologies like that, or new hardware like that, shift the conversation around what you're doing? I have always thought that the most pervasive, most popular form of, let's call it spatial, because um, VR, it, you call it VR, but it's part of the same spectrum of technology as AR, augmented reality. We call it spatial computing as a, as a you know as one spectrum. And the problem has always been that the graphics processing and the hardware just hasn't come to the stage where you can do AR yet. And it's just getting there, but VR has always been first, first and foremost, and it's always been more advanced. And everything you accomplish on VR can eventually benefit and accelerate the development cycles and the hype cycle of AR. And we're coming to that point where right now, with Apple's device coming out in the fall, and also Quest, uh, Meta is coming out with the Quest 3, which also has AR functionality in color. So Apple's coming in, they're going to make it very sexy, and they're going to buy some time. They're going to make some good money off people who want to be status symbol uh, badge uh, winners of this expensive gear yeah. while they make up the more cost-effective ones. They'll release probably two more in the next year, I bet. And Meta is going to benefit the most from this Apple launch because it's going to bring back and revitalize and make a whole new wave of serious use cases, not games, 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 but how can we use it in the workplace for productivity? How can we use it for co-collaboration with people in two different continents? Mm -hmm. The really cool reasons of why VR and AR change our world for the better, not for escapism and entertainment, but how do they elevate and transcend barriers of space and time? That is what XR together, VR and AR is doing. And that's, this is a tipping point. This is an inflection point, uh, mark my words. Yeah, yeah, and so okay. So if we move forward the hype cycle, in the hype cycle, where, when, and where does that affect uh, patients and healthcare products like yours? On the one hand, you got um, you can't trust media, but you can also, and I don't want to say it like this in public, but you know, a lot of investors are as as whimsical in their their listening of the media. They'll if it says it, it's dead on CNN. It's dead for like let's say fifty yeah. percent of the investors already. They're already gonna, you know, mm -hmm. they say a, there's always a small percentage of any group that I generalize right now. There's always a percentage that are not like that. They're very intelligent, but it's always a small group. And the majority working group think, um, unfortunately, is my experience. And the upside of that is when you're rightly positioned, as we have been as cockroaches that have been going through the last, you know, five years, yeah. building and building up this this technology we can now be positioned to ride that wave like a trained surfer. Mm. This is the this is the positive uplift moment where you, you time yourself and you position yourself for the wave. This is this is the wave coming up and we can magnify and cement and and really be focused on what our objectives are because the wave will die out eventually and give way to another. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, what do you want the world to to know about kind of what's coming next with Virtual Leap and Cognitly or more specifically? Well, my my mission has slowly evolved into something that thanks to TikTok, I am on a mission against it. I'm against uh, what's happening in our technologies that in the last few years, we saw this gamified mechanism very cleverly crafted to deteriorate 
our sustained attention skills be implemented on one platform and then spread out to YouTube, to Facebook, to Instagram, everywhere they're using a dopamine trick mm. that is really scary and how it's affecting our younger generations right now. People are, I think, not able to even pay attention to a 30-minute Netflix episode anymore at certain age groups. I'm not being a general, you know, generalizing nope, in true. that way. And yeah, I think parents should be scared. I think yeah. parents should be scared. I think teachers should be scared. I think society should be scared. Because when we lose our sustained attention skills, that's what... So, so how, does that loop, how does that loop back to you? Are you going to train them ba- train it back in? It's, it's um, hopefully the awareness of things like us okay. can bring awareness to individuals to prioritize their attention levels and to take their attention levels like looking at if you were like a you know Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of person going to the gym and then someone points at your 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 chicken legs because you haven't been doing the leg workouts yeah, yeah you haven't been doing the squats and it's obvious do you want do you want some symmetry yeah you, you know we need to show to ourselves through some types of technologies like our technology not only ours I think VR is just one piece of the toolkit and in fact I'm not even a fan of virtual reality beyond educational and healthcare use cases I want you to go back to the beach yep. I want you to read Tolstoy books from beginning yep. to end not lose your your interest because it's not you know whimsical enough or yeah. or you know um, peaking your your sensational side but self-knowledge and having a clear sight of what you can do to reclaim your empowerment. Ultimately, that's what VR to me is in its mm. special side, critical side, and that's hopefully what we contribute to with, with virtually. So what I'm hearing you saying is, if, I, if I've got two kids, which I do, and I'm concerned about them losing their um, attention span, here maybe there will be tools where I can say, hey, let's actually get to know how your your attention span has degraded over time, and if it is the way I'm concerned it is, let's take some steps. So let's have greater clarity. If you don't, if you don't see it, if you can't measure it, you can't do anything about it. Is that what I'm hearing? I think we're headed towards, and I think I think nothing's going to stop it until we start hurting from it, because that's how we are. You know, mm-hmm. we are going towards a cognition crisis, and it won't be in five years who has ADHD. It's who does not have attention deficit. That's kind of the scary side of things. But we're neuroplastic in design. We can go backwards. I'm just hoping we can learn this lesson a little bit earlier than the, 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 you know, the bottom of the pit. Awesome. Amir, that's the time we have. I really appreciate you taking the time with me and more importantly, appreciate that you've dedicated the last five years to this work, uh, finding a way to, uh, you know, you moved to Lisbon in order to have the space, to do the research, to do it right so that you can help people now when the timing is right. So um, excited to see what the fall brings and what just this next evolution of VR brings. I've been part of Startup Health for most of this period too. It's the one thing that uh, uh, throughout all this period, um, it's always been so supportive. Uh, the energy and the enthusiasm that you've been bringing to this podcast and the call before this, um, it, it is resounding. And um, and also thank you for the space and the opportunity for for companies like us. Awesome, Amir. All right. Be well. Enjoy. Thank you, Logan. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.